You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with myself Ian O'Connell is Paralympian Ellen Keane. If you want to get in contact with me throughout the show with any questions or requests, you can contact me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. Sit back and enjoy the show. Ellen, thanks so much for coming on today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Ian. This has been long overdue, long overdue chat. Long, long in the waiting. We finally got here. <laughs> we did eventually. Um, I like to at the start of all my interviews, I kind of like to bring the the guests back to their, I suppose, childhood growing up to give the listeners a kind of an idea of what they were like. What was your um your your childhood like? Were you you are you're obviously huge into um so for me like my childhood was just so active I just remember always doing some always having like an after school activity um trying everything out possible uh I was a little bit of a dancer surprise surprise um and then I I was swimming as well I did speech and drama I did football um, and my parents were just so um, saw the importance more of us always being active, which is really, really great. Yeah. And then I, I settled pretty quickly and pretty soon on swimming itself. And, and then this kind of whole swimming journey began. But my childhood itself was I was so such a happy little kid, just running around carefree, always willing to try things. And uh, yeah, that's that's what my childhood was like. That's all that matters, really, isn't it? As as a child, if you're you're happy and running around, that's the main thing. Did you um? Because my parents would have been the same day of kind of got me into sports, and I tried to do everything. Do you think it's like it is important for young children, like when we were younger, you know, growing up to to get into sports to make friends? Do you think it's important? Definitely. I think it's it's so important to try different things, especially because uh, for one, you don't know what you're going to settle on. You don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. Um, so it's it's good to have like a range of skills. But when it comes to the social side of things, um, I, I feel like the friends I have now are the friends that I made when I was a kid doing swimming. It's yeah. not even the people I went to school with. And, and I kind of feel like when you go to school and when you go into the routine of doing the same thing as everyone else, you're kind of nearly forced in with these people that you might necessarily have anything in common with. So that's why sport itself and, and different sort of activities are so important because that's where you find your people. Absolutely. Do you, um, do you, because like me now, I'm, I'm just finished school with, I suppose, nearly three years now since COVID. And, um, I even see myself like, you know, the friends you make and say when you're finished sixth class, you make new ones then in first year and you go on and like your friends in sixth year when you're finished, do you find that like everyone kind of goes their own way and you tend to, to stick with a certain bunch? Um, Yeah, I had kind of like a weird enough experience because after my junior cert, I went to... Uh, I went to boarding school in England for two years so that I could swim because it was the lead up to the London 2012 Paralympic Games. And then after that, I came back and I 
I went into the Institute in Dublin for two years to do my leaving cert. So I've kind of like hopped around schools a bit. So I've always had different friends from different places. Um, but I think being an athlete and, and kind of going down a specific route, um, it's, it's important to surround yourself with people who understand that you might necessarily be able to go to this party, that party, um, this social event, and you really have to have a really strict regime and, and be really disciplined. And unless you are surrounded by the right people, it's really, really hard to do that. So I, I guess it's not that I lost friends. I just didn't come. We just didn't really stay in contact because it was too difficult. And, and the people I went to school with have gone off and, and are living their lives and doing whatever they do. I'm so sorry. My dogs in the background are probably going right. to You're okay. <laughs> I'm trying to calm them down. Um, but even like now, like I'm 27 and a girl that I went to primary school with, to secondary school with, we've started talking again and we're starting to get back into contact. So I think that's really cool as well. I think it's it's important to kind of realize maybe even the people you're, you're friends with now, you might lose contact, you might lose touch. But if if you're meant to be friends, life will find its way back to them like you'll find your way back to them eventually absolutely and like i've said on the show um loads of times after my accident you know people were like did you lose friends now that you're in a wheelchair and stuff and i always say like i i didn't lose one friend you know i just kind of find out i found out who the real ones were and i think you've you've kind of go through something like it's like something tough to kind of see people's true colors and who your real friends are Mm, yeah I think life life events doesn't even have to be an accident it it could even be something as simple as a breakup or or something going on in your family life you really do realize the people that are there and it could be complete strangers that you didn't realize were actually in your corner Um, but it's nearly like it's nearly a good thing when bad things happen because otherwise you're left wasting your time with these people who actually aren't that invested in you and aren't that invested in in what's going on in your life and looking after you so there is always a silver lining to bad things happening it it is finding out who your real friends are absolutely totally agree with you like i'd rather have two good friends and five fake friends and like you said it it might only take a breakup or something um before we dig into to your career in swimming and everything kind of behind the scenes. Do you want to give the listeners uh, an idea of what exactly your your disability was and what age did you kind of realise that you were a bit different to your other friends? Yeah, so I was born without my left arm from below the elbow and it was from birth there. My parents didn't know what was going to happen. They weren't given a reason as to why it was going to happen. Um. It was just one of those things that here's your baby, you know, get on with it. Um, so and they they adapted so, so well. My parents never treated me any differently. And it was so important to them that I was treated the same. So I would have done, as I said, I was a really active kid. I would have done all the things that my siblings did. So I have two older brothers and an older sister. And I was just living the same life as them. And uh, I didn't notice I was different. I kind of... I knew I had like half an arm, but I didn't like I didn't see any difference between me or anyone else. And I was never bullied as a kid either. So I think that really played into it of not noticing. And it was kind of only when I was a teenager 
that I obviously was aware um, that I had one arm and and I guess being a teenager and the teenage years are really where all the insecurities are highlighted and magnified and you're trying to be the same as everyone else you're trying to fit in and I was never going to be the same as everyone else and that's when I started to hide my arm I'd wear sleeves I'd wear really baggy coats I'd I'd become less of a person because I was so insecure and so afraid of being different and being rejected and not feeling worthy enough to have friends and to even like because when you're a teenager that's when you're like oh I want to start kissing boys and I want to start like uh exploring and stuff and you're like no one's ever going to want me because my body's so different to everyone else um and literally like they're the thoughts that I was having every single day and and I I think it was from when I was like 12 till I was 19 and when I was 19 I was like right this is I'm starting college it's a fresh fresh new beginning this is my opportunity to be the person I've always wanted to be and it was only through swimming and through sport that I I knew who I was to my core and to my core I'm like this happy outgoing girl and I I needed to figure out how to be like that every single day um so I just faked it like when I went into college I rolled up my sleeves and pretended that I was this really confident girl absolutely killed me (laughs) but over time I learned I learned that all those thoughts were just thoughts. They're not true. And, and people don't care. Like people really do not care about me. Like it's you're the center of your own universe. Like no one actually cares that much about you. Um, and, and the people who are mean about it and the people who mightn't want you in, in their life, like you don't want them in your life anyway. So it's, I kind of came out of it in the end but it's still like a learning process I think you spend so many years having those negative self thoughts that you have to literally reprogram your brain and and try and train yourself to be a bit more positive and to recognize the negative thoughts and to recognize when you're putting yourself down and like I'm still on that journey itself but it's just I I love my body now for what it is absolutely and I it all comes back to the to the start where we were on about making friends, like I'm the, I'm I'm the biggest overthinker that you can, you can think of. Like I had that thought, them thoughts after my accident. Will I ever get a girlfriend? Will I get married? And like, it's only now when I start to talk to people in my situation, I see like that they have the same injury as me and they've had children since their accident and stuff. And it's 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 just overthinking, like like you said, your own your own thoughts when you said that you were wearing kind of roll up sleeves and baggy jumpers i i, I was watching um i think it was um the ted talk that you done and yeah. you said that you're when you're when you rolled um up your sleeves it was then your life really began was it like a weight off your shoulder yeah, it was. It was like uh, an awakening. I I feel like I was weirdly at a crossroads and I knew inside, like I knew deep down in my gut what I needed to do. And it was just kind of like having the bravery to do it. And it 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 is about just taking the first step in the right direction and and taking that first step. You realize, OK, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Um, but that can come across in like anything. Like I know people get anxiety when it comes to emails or phone calls or nearly catastrophizing things. And you just have to take 
take it like into a smaller section. And that's kind of basically what I did was I was like, I'll just roll up my sleeves this one day and see what happens from there. And that's what what began the the kind of journey I went on of self-love. And it's like you said, it's it's um it's just a small thing that can make the the big difference. I want to move on to to your um swimming and your life in sports because it's obviously in the in the public eye in Ireland especially and with Tokyo and winning the medal and everything. You um you're competing in the is it the S nine or SM nine classifications? Do you want to give us a an idea of exactly what they are? Yeah. So in para swimming, uh, you're separated up into classifications so you could look at boxing or any of those like weight categoried uh sports where they fight against people with the same weight category and that's the same kind of approach when it comes to para sports so you're classified into um a category where you'll be racing against people with similar disability to you um so s1 to s10 are physical impairments s1 being like really really physically impaired and s10 being like at the less end of being physically impaired so i would be an s9 and then an s10 would be someone who's maybe missing a hand and um, so i wouldn't compete against them but i compete against maybe people who are missing an arm like me missing a leg below uh, above the knee or might have cerebral palsy and uh for Tokyo and like throughout my swimming career I've always been a breaststroker so breaststroke is my one true love the one I always go back to and uh, I would compete in the SB8 classification of that so 100 meter breaststroke SB8 and yeah like I've been competing my whole life Um, I went to the my first Paralympics when I was 13 in Beijing and I was such a little kid I didn't understand you were the youngest, were you the youngest para athlete and Olympian at the age 13 to compete or something, was it? Yeah, I'm I, I'm Ireland's youngest ever Paralympian. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've changed the rule now. So the youngest you can be is 14. So I'll always have that title to win. <laughs> <laughs> It'll always be mine. No one's ever going to take that away from me. Um, and to be honest, like when you look back, um, when I look back now as an older athlete, I nearly regret going because it really messed me up. Like I didn't, I went there off pure talent. I didn't know how to work hard. I didn't know what it took to be an athlete. I just was really talented. Um, and then I came home and I had to go and compete in like little like club galas and little like Leinster meets and nothing was motivating me anymore and nothing inspired me and I did I I just kept making excuses I found it so hard to race and I was like that for a long time and and it got to London 2012 and I nearly didn't make the team and I didn't really? compete as I wanted yeah and only coming back from London 2012 I was like oh I need to make a change like I need to figure out what's going on I need to I I want to be the athlete I know I can be I want to be the athlete that everyone expects me to be nearly because they believe in my potential but I just don't know how to get there so that was the flick of your switch after coming back from London yeah it definitely was and and that's when I moved to 
my coach who I have now, who's Dave Malone, and he was a Paralympian himself. He won a joint gold medal in Sydney in 2000 and has multiple medals throughout his career. But uh, it was like I had to nearly unlearn a lot of bad habits. I had to unlearn a lot of things. And I still hadn't mastered my mind at that stage. So when it got to Rio in 2016, I had spent... So in Rio in 2016, I was 21. But only two years before that had I decided to roll up my sleeves. And I had mastered negative self-talk and I didn't know how to be kind to myself. And in Rio, that really showed because I was putting myself down. I told myself I wasn't ready. I didn't know how to do this. And like you can be the fittest and strongest and fastest person in the room but unless you know how to be kind to yourself and master your mind you are not going to be the winner you're not going to achieve anything and and I came third I didn't pb I was so upset um but that's that's what kicked that's got kind of what motivated me to right now I need to look after my mind I've got my body now I need to look after my mind and yeah, I when you were going through that, Ellen, did was um when you were going through that, you know, you weren't happy with yourself and you were kind of putting yourself down. Mm. Like even you talking there, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't have guessed it. Like did did people on the outside realize that you were actually hard on yourself and feeling down, or did you just try and put on a a, a, a smile? Um. I don't think anyone knew. No, I think a lot of the time people may have perceived me as being lazy um, and may have perceived me as not caring, whereas in actual fact, I cared so much that I was nearly paralyzing myself. Yeah. Um, And I, I didn't know how to ask for help. And I did try and ask for help a few times. And I think when I turned 21 itself so my birthday was in April and the games were in uh, September but that April was really like a really really difficult time um and I it was nearly like I was having like a quarter life crisis like I didn't know who I was what I was doing why was I still doing the sport um I'm not getting any better I'm not getting any faster um I felt so alone as well because I was I was one of the older athletes on the team um and I've spent my whole life doing this sport but I've nothing to show for it um and like at that stage as well no one really knew who I was and I didn't there there was nothing to me other than being a swimmer but I wasn't reaching my potential so I I really really struggled uh that whole year and I didn't I didn't know how to ask for help and Anytime I kind of did nearly ask for help, it kind of sounded like I don't want to train. I need a break. And it it just kind of sounded like I was slacking, whereas in actual fact, I was going through hell and I just didn't know how to get out of it. Like, I think it's important for you to to share that on the show today, like, you know, for other people that might be listening because they could be going through the the exact same thing. I remember reading on an interview there, I think it was the Irish Independent had us, you've done an interview with them, I think. I'm almost certain it was them. And you said um, that you used COVID-19 to work on your mental game. Yeah. Do you think that was vital? <laughs> Do you think that was very important to have that lockdown period to work on it? 
Oh my goodness. I think, I think COVID was nearly the best thing that could have happened for me and, and my career. And I hate saying that because of the absolute like devastation that it caused throughout the world, but. Good day come out of it though. I think for everybody. Mm, I nearly needed, I, it gave me what I needed and what I needed was to stop. I needed a break. I needed to switch off and I, in the 12 years of competing at the highest level, I'd never actually let myself stop. I'd never, like, even when I had a break after after a season and I had, like, maybe three weeks off, I didn't relax. I didn't, I was always thinking of what's coming next, what's coming next. And when, when the pools closed, I was forced out. I was forced to take a break. I was forced to slow down. Um and the relief that gave me was so overwhelming that I think like there were moments where I was hysterically laughing out of nowhere. And there were moments where I was hysterically crying out of nowhere. And it was just like a wave of different emotions that I had kind of been holding in. And once I'd kind of gotten over that, uh, the, the quiet came in and the quiet was good because the quiet was like, I miss racing. I miss competing. I I actually think I can do this. Whereas in the lead up to Tokyo, when it was Tokyo 2020 and um, before the pandemic, I was fairly confident, but there was something in the back of my mind that that was like a switch ready to go off being like, no, you're not ready. No, you're not ready. And as soon as the it got announced that the games were postponed, that switch completely disappeared. Like it wasn't there anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and in lockdown, I started reading a book um, called Champ- the champion's mind. And it's all about like controlling your own thoughts and, and trying to be the best athlete and teammate that you possibly can. And I think that was, I just l- learned to appreciate sport a lot more. And I learned to, recognize the privilege I had and I learned that I I'm not going to be in sport forever it has a very limited time frame I'm not going to be a swimmer forever one day I'm going to be something else and and I want to appreciate every single second I get at being an athlete so when I got to go back training I loved every single meter I did um and and every time I raced or anytime I thought about like the games itself I just kept telling myself I was ready and the more I told myself I was ready and I believed in myself the more I did and I think that's nearly the same thing that happened when I started college and I was faking being confident I was I just kept telling myself I can do this and that's the same thing that I, I did when it came to Tokyo and even in the call room like right before the final like I knew there was a possibility that I could win a gold medal here and I also knew there was a possibility that I could, there was a very close, there was a very high chance I could come second by milliseconds. Um, But I didn't, I didn't focus on that. I just kept telling myself I'm ready and no matter what happens, I'll always love myself. And it's like a calming reassurance I had. So when I dove in and my goggles filled up with water, (laughs) I didn't panic because I was like, I've done this so many times in my head, in the pool. I just need to be in this present moment and go for it. And and that's what I did. And 
I actually didn't the how I knew I won was uh when I hit the wall I saw the girl beside me's uh diving block and at those games in particular the block would change a light would come on on the block depending on where you come so if you come first one light will appear if you come second two lights will appear if you come third three lights will appear and I yeah and I finished and I looked at her block I didn't even look at my block or the scoreboard I just looked at her block and I saw two lights and I was like oh (laughs) if there's two lights on that it means there's one light on mine (laughs) did do you know after when you were getting like your your medals and you get the kind of flower at the podium? Yeah. I remember I remember seeing that when the camera kind of zoomed up on your face, you you didn't seem to be like jumping with joy. It was like more like a relief was gone, was it? Yeah, I wouldn't even call it a relief. It, I think it was more like um a calming reassurance. And it was nearly felt like I've I've tried so hard to be this person for so long yeah. and now I'm finally this person. It was nearly like a moment of growth that I finally stepped into the person I was always meant to be. Um, so that's why I wasn't like aesthetically happy or ridiculously emotional because I'd already had all that. Um, and, and it was just a, a calmness that I'd nearly been searching for my whole career and I never found and I finally found it uh so yeah it's it is a weird it's a weird situation to be in but also like I was being followed around by anti-doping and I knew straight after I was gonna have to go pee in a cup so there's lots of things that take away from the glamour of winning a gold medal <laughs> are they really strict on that Ellen um yes yes I know so it, it's it's random so even like I could have won a gold medal and not got drug tested but it just happened that I was was being drug tested um mm. so you do you you get given a little help like not a helper but like she's a, a chaperone and she will follow you around until it's time to go to the toilet so Good. yeah they are they are quite strict <laughs> um something something not not really to look forward to after winning a gold medal <laughs> Yeah, no. And it's so funny as well, because like when it comes to swimming, we wear really tight racing suits and I, my like change my like bag was somewhere else on the other side of the building. So I didn't have like my underwear or anything. So I had to go straight in completely strip butt naked out of this racing suit, took like 15 minutes to get out of it, pee in a cup, and then put it back on so that took like another 15 minutes and it's the most unglamorous thing ever and even the girl who was drug testing me just found it so funny she was like you don't have to put it back on and I was like I have no other choice here it's either put it on or be naked so I have to do it it's all your fault yeah Um, before um we move on do do you mind giving giving us an idea of what a a, say a training day or even a training week looks like because I'm sure you have to have a day of kind of recovery and rest as well. Yeah. So my day off would be Sundays and it's, it's the only day of the week that I get off, but um, I would train twice a day, every day, if not three times a day. So uh, it could be a gym session on a swim, or it could be two swims or it could be two swims in a gym. So that's every day. And then on a Thursday, I get the evening off and I 
bloody love Thursdays there's so there's something so weird about not having to train that just like the weights feel lifted I can just be a normal person for like half a day and then get back but like you need that you need to be able to switch off you need to be able to walk away and come back because otherwise it's too intense um so yeah and and on top of that as well like that so I would roughly train like four to five hours a day and then on top of that you have to eat right you have to make sure you go to bed on time uh you have to look after your health your mental health you have to there's so many things that come with being an athlete um do you think mental health sometimes is nearly just as, as important as physical health? Yeah, 100%. So I like, I have two dogs and they do drive me absolutely bananas at times, but they give me purpose outside of the pool as well. So they're not, it's not like work that I have to do, like, or it's not anything that will give me uh, like any sort of money or any sort of whatever. These are two living beings that I am responsible for so and I want them to be as happy as possible because they make me happy so even just something as being able to bring them for a walk like it's not really doing much for me physically but mentally it's doing so much um whereas before when I had when I didn't have the dogs I would just train and sleep and train and sleep but now I have something else as well um so like it's so weird like the what animals can do for you without even realizing it like even just like when they make me get up in the morning to make them go pee I'm like oh I wish I was still in bed but like it it gives your life more purpose which they're is, worse they're, the dogs are worse getting you up as as the woman chasing you around for the drug test after <laughs> I know yeah I'm, I'm really not selling the athlete lifestyle am I <laughs> um no do you know was it on the late late show was it Danny your dog he wasn't he on at one time he was yeah that was the most random late late show I've ever done because it was right after coming back from Tokyo and there's absolute chaos and madness when you come home from a games and honestly like I had won the gold medal I had so much calmness about me but you come home and there's so much chaos there's a lot of media and everything yeah, there's there's loads of media. There's loads of strangers knowing who you are coming up to you. And that's incredible, the power of sport. And, and it's incredible that you're able to touch all these people without even realizing it. It's just you living your life and you're you're making a difference in other people's lives. But it's a lot to go from zero to 90. And it's very very like everyone everyone is so proud of you but you only have like a limited amount of energy so I was even talking to an athlete about this before who had come home with a medal and they were saying because I was like I don't understand I'm so sad like why am I so sad all the time like I should be happy and they were like you're sad because you meet these random people who you don't know but you have to give them your happiness because they're being kind to you so you're giving all of your happiness and and time and energy to these random people that when you go home at night like you have nothing left for yourself so that's why you're sad but it will pass and it's so such a weird like I'm so grateful that I was able to have that conversation with someone because they understood they could relate and it's something that I don't think athletes talk about enough is like the low that comes with the high um but yeah after when I came back as well and the Late Late Show were like, okay, we'll have you on. We'll do this, we'll do that. And I was like, fun, that sounds fun. And then they were like, 
uh, and will you cook? And I was like, no, I won't cook. And they're like, but, but like, we're going to have Paul O'Connell on and like, you could do a cooking segment with him. You have a culinary degree, don't you? And I was like, yes, but like, I am wrecked. Like I've just spent like two, three months abroad competing. Like I've not been near a kitchen. I'm not confident enough to go on the Late Late Show and to cook. And they're like, oh no, it'll be fine. It'll be so easy. And then we'll have your dog. Honestly, like I saw the tweets after that show and loads of people were like, what am I watching? And I I was like, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. I just went with it. Like it was the most random thing ever. And even because like Paul O'Connell, was, he was promoting his uh, his cookbook and in his cookbook, he had pan- he had waffles. So I was making waffles. And like when we were like kind of rehearsing it, he was like, why? Why are we putting eggs in this? This is, th- these aren't my waffles. This isn't even my recipe. What are we doing here? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm just doing what they're telling me to do. <laughs> Another thing. um lasting in the on sports but um another thing was remember when you were on the late late and you were saying to ryan about the difference being called an olympian and a paralympian yeah do you think that people are not i don't know would it be fair to say afraid to say paralympian and they just say olympian what do you think it is um no, I, I, so I would get very, very irritated by people who work in the media who get it wrong yeah. because they're responsible for educating the public. Mm-hmm. So it's their responsibility and their job to get it right. So when someone, a member of the public who doesn't work in the media says Olympics to me or Olympian to me, I do not bat an eyelid because that's what they are, believe it to be. They understand it to be the same and they're being supportive so I am so grateful to them and I appreciate all the love and support that I get from them so it's more the media that I get annoyed about because they're being lazy they're not doing their job properly and Ryan does it all the time and I call him out on it all the time I was I was laughing so much on that episode and you call him out yeah but it's there's an ignorance and 100% it's they're in a they're in a role where okay acknowledge if you've got it wrong and and be apologetic but then don't get it wrong like straight after I've just said it yeah um because there is a difference and and the biggest difference is the lack of uh the lack of support maybe that some Paralympians get there's there's the added added kind of adaptions that we need to make there's the walking into a gym and not belonging because it's not accessible Uh, there's not having adaptive clothing there's not there's there's getting on a plane and not being able to use the loo because it's not like we're Paralympians there's a difference Um, there's a a sense of pride as well being called a Paralympian yeah, like I'm I'm not an Olympian. I will never be an Olympian. Yeah. There are Paralympians who are Olympians and that is bloody incredible, but I'm not one of those people. And and I have no shame in being disabled and I have no shame in being a disabled athlete. And sometimes when I get called an Olympian, it's nearly like, especially from, it, it's nearly like, oh, we're not willing to acknowledge the disability. So we'll call you an Olympian. And I'm like, hmm. No, no, that's but that's not what I am. So don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's people in the media as well's job to educate the public, like you you said. Before we um 
before we finish up, I just want to touch on a few months ago, Dancing with the Stars. They um, <laughs> That must have been an, an unreal experience, especially, you know, I suppose when you were the, the only one with a disability on it. And I, you know, I was even proud to see see you doing it and kind of representing, I suppose, the the disability community. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's It was a whirlwind of an experience and it was the best thing that I think I could have done after Tokyo as well because it took the spotlight away from my medal and it took the spotlight away from me as an athlete and it was more like, oh, the glitz, the glamour of dancing. Isn't this fun? So, like... It was so, so, so much fun. And me and Stephen had such a ball, who was my dance partner. But I did feel that sense of responsibility and representation. And at times it it did weigh me down because like the reason we're in the situation we're in with people not understanding disability and people being afraid of disability is because of the lack of representation. So when you are given the opportunity to represent, you have to do a good job and you have to be authentic and you have to you have to give it your best shot because you don't know the next person that's going to be given that opportunity. So you have to try and make as much difference as you possibly can while you're there. And that's a heavy weight to carry. And it definitely did weigh on me. Um, and it weighed on me as well when I felt like I, I don't know there are there were times where I felt like I don't know how to do this and I have no one to compare myself to and I'm the first and and it is frustrating um it's normal but again, that's why we do it <laughs> so it's easier for the next person <laughs> exactly um you were saying like your your training schedule is hectic enough as it is but then like I've talked to people at Dundance with the stairs and they said that the training there is absolutely mental as well. How did you balance it all out? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I honestly, or did you? <laughs> I don't know how I did. I, I, it's so frustrating when you watch back the show and you're like, if I had just a little bit more sleep, I definitely would have been able to do that better. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I trained dancing from 10 to 3 every day. And then I would train, I would try and do like three pool sessions a week. So I would be in the pool from five to seven then. So I would go straight from dancing to swimming. Uh, so it was a bit chaotic. And then the whole weekend you'd have to dedicate to uh, the show and to rehearsals and to hair and makeup. And like you would go in on a Sunday at 8 a.m. and you wouldn't leave until 9 p.m. And like the whole time you're just sitting in a chair getting your hair and makeup done and then dancing and then coming back and doing it again. And yeah, it was a very, very, very intense. Um, and I'm so jealous of anyone who gets to do it again because I'd love to do it again. But then at the same time, I'm like, I never want to ever do that again. <laughs> Did you make, um, I presume you made friends for life on it because you all kind of seemed to be one bunch and you all got on. Yeah, yeah. And that's another reason why I wanted to do it because as I said, like I'm one of the older athletes and it can be quite lonely and I needed to, to get, not I needed more friends, but I needed to, to reach out and find more people who work different jobs because like, it's not like I work a nine to five. So I, I, I am in social at the same areas that everyone else is. So when you meet like different, I'm putting like celebrities and like 
uh, like I'm doing the quote thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I cringe at the thought of being called a celebrity. Um, but it's just people who live different lives and, and being able to relate. And you mightn't see them for ages. And then as soon as you see them again, it's like nothing, no time's passed. And everyone on that show was so supportive of each other. And we just wanted to have fun. And I think because we did it during COVID as well. So we weren't allowed to interact with each other that much, but we still managed to build like a family support system around each other. And everyone just had everyone's back. And like, I nearly get emotional thinking. And I, I, I nearly like put these experiences to the back of my brain. Cause if I overthink it too much, I'll get upset and I'll miss it. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it was such an incredible experience. Last thing, um, any plans for the, the near future? I know Paris is probably on your mind already. Are you um the site set on that? Yeah, so that is that is the one. That's the plan. That's I I've been in it for so long um that I know Paris will be my last one. So I'm just gonna give it my all now until Paris in 2024. And, and you then... never know, Ellen. You'd never know. No, I have to. I don't want to be one of those athletes that like retires in the newspapers and no one ever hears of them again. I want to have <laughs> that moment in Paris where it doesn't matter what happens. I just know that everyone knows it's the end. And, yeah. and it kind of makes it a little bit more special as well because they they people recognize what they're watching is is the end of a career. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it can't like you could win you can come last but it's still as emotional as anything so that's what I'm looking forward to at that moment very good Ellen thanks a million for coming on today and I really appreciate it and oh, I enjoyed the, enjoyed the chat we got there in the end <laughs> now unfortunately that's all we have time for tonight thanks a million for tuning in and I hope you all enjoyed the show a massive thanks to Ellen Keane for coming on tonight and having a good chat about her own story and career so far. Big things to come from her and hopefully Paris 2024 will be a success. If you want to contact me before next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram enoconnell321 or through my email address ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. Don't go anywhere, Brian Priestley is up next with That's Jazz. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8 p.m. here on Radio Kerry.